Well, I hope that you've been blessed this week by the Lord our God. You know, summer is rapidly coming to a close and fall is not far behind. Next Sunday will be the 1st of September. Can you believe it? You know, where did the summer go? Today, though, I hope you're excited. Man, we're going to close this thing out, this, this great epistle of Second Peter. And as promised last week, we're going to do part two, phase two of the great and coming day of the Lord. And I hope that you're ready for it, and I hope that you're excited. And we closed out by talking about how this earth is going to melt with a fervent heat. The heavens will pass away with a great noise, and things are going to dissolve and today, to tell you the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say, man, we got to get cracking. So, if you're ready, open your Bibles. Follow along. We're in 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to learn what's going to happen in leading up to the great day of the Lord that is coming soon. And I think, and I hope, I'm longing for it to be sooner than most people expect. But to bring us up to speed, last week in verse 3, we saw that there's going to be scoffers in the last day that will be scoffing. They will mock the idea that Jesus is coming back soon whenever you try to tell them about it. They will say this, where is the promise of His coming? These thousands of years the earth's toiled on day after day. No hide nor hair has been seen of Jesus coming. But Peter said this, you're willfully forgetting something. You forget that God has already judged this world one other time. For quite a while after the earth was created, on day one, it has went on day by day until the day that Noah and his family, or more than a thousand years after the creation was going on, everyone went about their lives. They mocked while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water, First Peter chapter 3 tells us. The like figure whereunto baptism doth now also save us, it says. But anyway, that for 120 years Noah preached the gospel and they mocked and they wagged their mouths and they said, we don't believe that it's coming, it's never rained. We don't have to, what is this flood? And look at this boat, this ship. What's it supposed to do? Float, floating what? It's never watered. Everything was watered by God from the mist that came up out of the ground. They refused to listen to the words that Noah spoke. But there came a time when God said, enough is enough. The day is here. My promise will be kept. And he told Noah and his wife, and their three sons, and their wives, to enter into the ark after the animals had went in. And it says that the Lord God shut the door and sealed it Himself, and the deluge began, and the floodgates of the earth was open, and the windows of heaven was open, and for 40 days and 40 nights the immensity of water beat upon this earth and upon that ship, and it says that it covered over every bit of the earth's surface, over every hill and high hill and mountain that there was. Mount Everest is 29,000 feet tall. It was covered in water. It was very deep. 
And God says this, You willfully forget that I did it back then, and I did keep my word. The world that existed at that time was destroyed. And by the same word of God, the earth that is being held together this very moment, by that same word, Peter says, is reserved for fire until the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. And I want you to think about that for a moment. There's one reason that the world is being held together right now, and that's so that those who are lost might be saved because the Lord is not slack as we count slackness. He is not willing that any would perish, that all would come to repentance because the world is filled with those who do not believe and those who do not follow what the Word of God says. And he says this, It is being held together for judgment, for fire of ungodly men and their destruction. I don't think that I want to be in that category to you. Then I need to learn what is the truth of the Word of God and follow the truth of the Word of God and not be counted out as short as one of those who said at one time as Jesus taught in the parable, they will say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and have we not taught and have we not done this and that in thy name? And he says, depart from me ye that work iniquity because I never knew you. Because Jesus is the word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God and he was in the beginning with God, it says in John 1. And if He is the Word, and you reject the Word governing your life, then He never knew you. And you are being reserved for fire until the day of judgment. But God's grace is holding that back until you will repent of those things. He says, I am not slack. One day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day, so it's not like I'm waiting a long time. I am waiting so that you will come to repentance. And then it says, verse 10, that day will come. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The earth will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, they will come unraveled as we saw last week. Everything is going to come apart and be burnt up with fervent heat. The Holy Spirit has a question for you and I in verse 11. Look at it close. What manner of persons then ought you to be in holy conduct of your life and living godly? Looking for the quick coming of the day of the Lord and being blameless. Because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire. The elements will melt with a fervent heat. But nevertheless, we, those who are in Christ Jesus, according to the promise of God, we look for a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. And we went over some of those things last week. And then Jesus said that there will be signs of my coming. Wars, rumors of wars, kingdom and kingdom, famines, pestilence, earthquake in various places. 
And he said, these are only the beginning of the sorrows. They are like birth pains of a woman who is going to give birth to a child, but you're in labor now. And your pains, we don't know how long they will last. Some go quickly and some go for a day or more. But he says, these things, when you see them come, and the signs from the sun, the moon, and the stars, the raging of the seas, and the powers of heaven shaken, like when a fig tree is going to drop its ripened fruit in a heavy windstorm, so shall these things of the heavens be shaken and dropped to the earth. And when you see it, and when you know it, it's the beginning of sorrows. The birth pains are here. And we have, as we said last week, government agencies that monitor every one of these things that deals with famine, disease, and pestilence, earthquakes, volcanoes, sun, moon, stars, planets, storms in the sea. But let's dig a little deeper into what is going to be happening in the earth and what might be triggering the violent nuclear type of reaction that will set forth the dissolving of the heavens and the earth on that great day that Peter writes about. So let's begin with the creation story itself. Because God, by His immaculate design, has put it this way so that the things went in order and they're going to unravel in reverse order. And He says this, Day 1, Genesis chapter 1, God said, Light be... And light was. And God divided it. Notice that it was God Himself. Who divides the light from the dark. And the light was called day. And the darkness was called night. And then comes one of the biggies. That almost nobody talks about in creation. You hardly ever hear this brought out. As a part of doctrine as to the where and why. It says this. Evening and the morning were Yom Ikad. Yom Ikad, day one. And that means by evening and morning that the earth has now begun to spin on its axis. The land surface is experiencing evening and morning means that God is subtly hinting to us that it's revolving now. He caused it to begin to spin whatever, around whatever the light source was. And that is very important for our study as we're going to see. And then day two, boy, there's another biggie, the atmosphere. And a part of that is the magnetosphere. And so, before God can hang the sun and the moon and all of the heavenly bodies, because see, whatever that light was in day one, it wasn't the sun. Because it's not going to come around until day four. But God hung a different light and God divided that light. And he says, i got to provide an atmosphere first that provides insulation and protection for the surface of the earth. Because when there is no atmosphere and no magnetosphere, the earth would have been burned up. It would be barren and wind-blown wasteland, just like Mars is. So God, in His infinite wisdom of planning and creating, makes the atmosphere next and He sets it in place in the earth. Still spinning on its axis, it says, experiences evening and the morning of day two. And then day three begins and the earth being revealed now from under the waters as God begins to separate the waters from the waters and to divide it and to have earth become 
forward out of the waters and show itself and it becomes a fertile, beautiful place with grass, herbs, trees, and such things. And then the Word of God says evening and morning ends day three. And now we finally get to day four, which is going to be a big part of our subject today on how the great day of the Lord comes about. We get to the lights in the firmament of heaven and these lights begin to divide the day from the night again and instead of the light that God put there on day one. Now, they are created not only for that, but listen to what it says in verse 14 of chapter 1. They are created and let them, God says, the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, the galaxies that are round about, let them be for signs, for seasons, days and years the first thing that the heavenly bodies are hung for is to be for signs to the people and God has used these created things to be signs for mankind every since that time he's used the sun and the moon for stars and Jesus said these heavenly bodies that were created on day four will play a role as to being the signs that will foretell His coming and the end of the world. And we saw last week and reviewed a moment ago that some of those signs were earthquakes, heavenly bodies being shaken and dropped to the earth, etc. Well, God set up a pattern of things in the creation account to protect us and the earth from these things. But ultimately... It seems, in reverse order, these things will destroy the earth when God gives the word for it to unravel. And that word unravel means to come apart. Something that had been held together, something causes it to unravel. And whenever you think about the earth unraveling, like with a fervent heat and all the works being burned up, got to meditating on that this week and I got to thinking about the 4th of July. Have you ever had those little things that they call like the little charcoal snakes? The, it's like a little piece of charcoal. It looks like a little eraser or something. And you light it and it takes it a while. But once it finally begins to get lit, you see a few sparks and sputters start to go. And then all of a sudden, it starts to give out this foam looking like stuff. And it stays in, in one place for a while and it curls around and they call it a snake. But that is an unraveling of what's being held together there. That little eraser goes into a big, long, charcoal, puffy thing, and it unravels with the great heat that is being put up against it. And that is what this world is going to do. With a fervent heat, it is going to dissolve. It is going to burn up. It is going to unravel like that charcoal snake does on the 4th of July. To keep that from happening too soon, the atmosphere, folks, was created on day two. It had to be created before the plant life of day three and before the sun and the heavenly bodies of day four because the atmosphere and the magnetosphere is created for protection and the absorption, though, of energy. Now, I, in preparing for this the last few weeks, I've studied many different things and from a lot of different sources. I've went to all the government websites. I've went to things on YouTube. I've searched Google for different things. And I studied all of these things and, and with 
the congregation, I've shared a video from NASA about understanding what's going to happen. If you want to look at it, uh, as you listen to this, it's NASA Science Casts, the Earth's Magnetosphere. If you type that in on YouTube or on the Google search, NASA Science Casts, the Earth's Magnetosphere, it will take you to a short 3-minute, 30-some second video that explains the atmosphere and explains the magnetosphere and what it does. And during that video, there are some important points for us to recognize. The magnetosphere and atmosphere had to be in place for these things to exist upon life on earth. If the sun were first, it would have devastated us. God needs to be exalted and glorified by science in His divine planning and design of our world. The magnetosphere deflects and also absorbs the winds and the radiation from the sun. Did you know, I'm going to give you some facts here. Did you know that the sun is estimated to be over 27 million degrees in its core? That's hot, ain't it? At the corona, near the surface, as the solar winds are formed and come come vaulting off of the sun near that corona, it's anywhere from 1 million or more degrees. Now, that kind of heat creates a convection of wind. I went out the other night out back at the house and I burnt some boxes and my little burn pile is next to the woods. And when that pile of boxes began to burn, the smoke and the heat went rising upward and it looked like a windstorm blowing the branches from all of that. Now, if that can happen by the burning of boxes, what do you think happens from the sun when we're talking of charged, energetic planet that is over 27 million degrees at its core and a million close to the surface? The solar wind that is created by the heat from the sun is anywhere from 1 to over 2 or 3 million miles per hour. Think of that. The wind is... Anywhere from 1 million to 3 million miles per hour coming off. And with those temperatures and those wind speeds, what do you think would happen to the earth if there was not something deflecting all of that radiation, all of that powerful wind, and all of the heat and charging of it? It would, it would kill us. It would fry the earth and dry it up into a crisp. So therefore, God, by His design, created atmosphere and magnetosphere that deflects most of that away from us to protect us. And it also, and the video would help to show, it also absorbs that energy, that radiation, into the interior of the earth. The earth is like a huge battery on the inside. And that radiation... That charged particles is charging the interior of the earth and keeping it hot. So speaking of that, let's look at the structure of the earth then that the Lord God created. The earth's core in its very center is said to be a molten ball of iron. But did you know that it's the size of the moon? That core is the size of the moon within the center of the earth and it's somewhere between six and 7,000 degrees hot. It's kept charged and heated by the absorption of radiation energy from 
the magnetosphere, keeping it from the sun and keeping us safe. Now the outer core that's around that inner core of the earth is about the size of the planet Mars and it's four to 6,000 degrees and it's molten iron and nickel. And this is where things get interesting because that very inner moon-sized core is really solid because it's compressed together by the extreme pressure and heat of the earth so it stays a just a hot, hot ball. But that outer core the size of Mars is not under as great a pressure so it can rotate all of that heated metal the iron and nickel can kind of move so now here's where it gets interesting when God on that first day you remember day one evening morning day one the rotation of the earth was set in place And the earth began rotating on its axis. You know how fast it spins? 1,037 miles per hour at the equator. Now that amount of rotation speed, along with the convection heat on the interior, caused that molten iron and nickel to flow around the iron core. And you know what it creates? Magnetism. God designed the magnetism of the magnetosphere to be resolved around each other like that as we revolve and as the sun charges those particles and heats it up it absorbs and pulls that radiation in and then it spins around and it's charging like a huge super battery it's the divine cycle that God placed in creation and then the next layer coming from the center out that's underneath our crust is called the mantle the mantle is anywhere from 700 degrees close to the crust of the earth, the ground, to 4,000 degrees as it gets towards that inner core. This is where there is molten rock, the elements, the dirt. It's the form of lava that's under the crust whenever an earthquake or um, a volcano blows. This is where that comes from. It's a thick, soupy layer of lava of the elements. Now this is where it continues to get even more interesting. You see the earth. The earth is a closed container. That crust that goes around all of this. That we know as ground and rock and firmament. That goes down. It makes the earth kind of a closed container. Even under the water. There is a surface under the water. That leads to a hard pan. Before you get to that molten stuff. So underneath all the grass and the dirt. And the ocean mud is the earth's crust and did you know that the crust is only three and a half miles thick to 43 miles at its thickest point but just think of that anywhere from three miles to 40 some miles is all that separates the surface of the earth from what lies inside of the earth with convected molted lava And heated elements that can go all the way up to six and seven thousand degrees. You know what happens when something expands? As as the sun and its charged radiation particles begin being infiltrated back into the earth through that magnetosphere, through the poles, the north and the south poles, and as it charges through, what happens to something when it's heated up? 
in a closed container. Well, I'll tell you, I've left a plastic gas can out in the sun whenever I was mowing and, and cutting wood. And you know what ended up happening? That thing almost burst. It looked like one of those frogs that its throat bloats out there. The heat took that closed container and the stuff that was inside of it and expanded it till it was about ready to burst. Now, with that being said, and the earth being a closed container, just like a pressure cooker for you ladies who can, and if you don't have a release valve for the pressure on that pressure cooker, what's it do? It blows up with a loud noise and a fervent heat. So now when you look at the earth under the same kind of thing, and you go all the way through there and you say, the center of the earth is being heated up by the magnetosphere, there has to be pressure building. What happens when the pressure builds? Just as that pressure cooker begins to rattle on the stove, the earth begins to quake. That's where earthquakes come from. As it is heated up and as the pressure is looking for somewhere for this flowing molten stuff that has got gases that is trying to be released, as it is doing that, it shakes and quakes the earth looking for a release valve, a spot. And those come through with some geysers and with the volcanoes, with the lava, the folks there's not enough relief points because the earth is heating up. And it is not man's carbon footprint. I want to tell you that one event like Mount St. Helens volcano exploding puts 25,000 years worth of carbon footprint of what man can do. It takes man 25,000 years to do what Mount St. Helens did in one day. So what is causing this so-called global warming is not humans and it's not a global footprint. It is God's footprint. And you know why? Because one day, the earth is going to melt with a fervent heat. And the, the, the growing pains, the, the beginning of sorrows, Jesus said, as labor pains, is this. Earthquakes. Why? Because it will be heating up. And heating up. And it's going to be looking for a way for all of that pressure and all of that molten stuff on the inside to come out. And when it comes out, the earth shall melt with a fervent heat. Its works and all things will happen. So it's looking for weak points in the crust of the earth where the tectonic plates and the fault lines where all the earthquakes take place. And that's why Satan is so involved in this thing and is trying to convince those in charge that the, the carbon footprint is man-made and we're going to try to stop it. You know why? Because when this earth is destroyed, guess what happens to Satan? It spells his doom, doesn't it? That will be his end. When the judgment day comes, Satan and his demonic angels face the same judgment day as well. And their punishment is everlasting flames in the lake of fire that Jesus said was prepared in the beginning for the devil and his angels. And the devil knows this. And the devil is smart. And like I said, he knows Scripture. And he knows what to look for. So we've got... 
these censors all over the earth looking for this. And he's convincing those who are in charge to say that it's man-made and that we got to get rid of the carbon footprint and quit burning gasoline and coal and kerosene. No more tractors on the farm. No more cars in your driveway. You know why? Because he cannot stop God's footprint that's happening. But if he can stop man, he might prolong his life outside of hell for another day. He might only be able to keep by man's carbon footprint the earth from shattering and dissolving by one day. But you know what? The devil knows what hell looks like and what it's going to be like. And he will do anything to try to spare one more day from going there. You know, whenever Jesus came to the man in Mark 5, to that man of the Gadarenes who it says had a legion of demons within him, and the man threw himself at Jesus' feet when Jesus came there on the boat, and he looked up and he said, What have you to do with us? Have you come to torment us before the time? You see, they knew when the time was coming. They knew it wasn't now because all of these things haven't happened. And they know what torments is. And they come down before Jesus and said, Are you going to do something to us before that day? Are you going to cast us there then and now before the time? Jesus said, No. And they went into the pigs. And that's a different story for another day that we'll talk about. But the point is this, folks. Satan and the legion of demons was in that man knows what hell is going to be like. And he's doing everything he can to even prolong his life outside of that one more day. Peter says in our text, Knowing all of these things in the promise of God, verse 11, chapter 3, 2 Peter. Knowing these, what manner of person ought you to be? They are scared. They tremble. They don't want nothing to do with it. They don't have a choice. You and I do. What are you doing with the time that God is giving you by grace to get your life in order to be in all holiness and blameless when that day comes, like verse 11 says. But anyway... The time is short and it is coming. And I went to the USGS website. That's the United States Geological Survey where they have sensors all over the world to track these earthquakes all around the fault lines. And it's got a page on there where you can do a search to see how many earthquakes there's been within any time frame. You can, you, can, you can make and create your time frame, hit run, and what magnitude of earthquakes, and it will tell you how many happened in that time period. I said, well, let's see if earthquakes are increasing, because when Jesus said, you will know the time is getting nearer when there are more and more earthquakes in diverse places. So I started in August and would do a search from August to August since we are in August. And I started in the 1970s. And you know, from August 1970 to August 1971, 
of earthquakes of 1.5 magnitude and above, there were 1,676 earthquakes. That sounds like a lot, doesn't it? Oh, 1,600. Well, then I went to 1980 and 81, the same exact time frame, August to August, same day. You know what? In that year, there were 16,883. The earthquakes had jumped tenfold in ten years. From 1990 to 91, 23,930 earthquakes. We're still climbing, aren't we? So then I thought, okay, from August 2000 to August 2001, I hit enter. It searched and it said, "Uh uh-oh, there may be too many to plot on here. Do you want to continue anyway? I said, yeah. And it said there were 39,058 earthquakes from the year 2000 to 2001. We are climbing from the 1600 to 1970, are we not? 2010, I go a decade later, 2010 August to 2011 of August. Again, there's going to be more than we can plot. And I said, go ahead, lay it on me. How many is there? 49,266 earthquakes. I thought, hmm, surely we're not more than that right now, are we? So I said, okay, let's, let's go from 2018, last year in August, to right now, current date, in August of 2019. I hit click. Are you ready for this? 75,872 earthquakes. Are you ready for the Lord to come? Because we have went in the last 40 some years from 1,600 earthquakes to 75,000 872 and I don't know about you but I think that as Jesus said when you hear of earthquakes in diverse places know that it is coming and the birth pains are here what about volcanoes with all this shaking and quaking and everything that's going on well the Smithsonian Institution has a chart It goes up like a skyrocket stocks chart would from the 1800s to the year 2000. Folks, I'm telling you, we're not even getting into solar flares. We're not getting into solar wind speeds. We're not getting into pestilence and famine and any of these other things. We are only looking at a few things. Now, with all this in mind, last week we looked at Revelation 6. If you remember that. And we talked about those seals and the four horsemen. And we saw the four horsemen of the apocalypse that brought war. That peace was lost. That there was famine and death and hell followed close behind. So now, this week, open your Bible to Revelation 7. I want you to see what happens right after that. As we continue, we saw... That this earth and the atmosphere and the sun and the planets that God created is like a big fusing machine ready to unravel. Revelation 7 continues our saga and it says, After this, after the sixth and seventh seal was opened at the end of Revelation chapter 6, chapter 7 opens with this. 
After these things, I saw four angels. These four angels are standing at the four corners of the earth. They're waiting for the word to begin their woes upon it. They're holding back the four winds that it should not blow yet upon the earth or the sea or any tree. Why? Well, another angel comes up ascending from the east and it says that he has the seal of the living God. And this angel cries out with a loud voice and says, Don't harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God in their forehead. Now, folks, we're in the tribulation period right now. The, the church is out, and we're talking really at this time about all of those who are lost and the tribes of Israel that God is trying to, to regain. But here's the thing. That seal of the living God that separates those who are going to face destruction and those who are not is the same seal and the same promises that are to you and I this day in the church age that separates those of us who are in the church and who will arise on that first day at the trump of God and the voice of the archangel and to arise and meet Jesus in the air. What separates us from those who will not be arisen and will be here for these things that we're reading about is this. Do you have the seal of God upon you? What? You ask, what is the seal of God then? That's a good question because if that's what separates us from lost and found, from lost and destruction versus arising to be with the Lord forever, then I need to know what that seal of God is, don't you? Well, it's also talked about in the Old Testament. Even in Ezekiel, it talked about the man before the destruction came at that time. He said, a man with the rider's inkhorn is going to go out and mark on the forehead of all of them the seal of the living God. Then in P Peter, in Acts chapter 2, the same one who's writing this book for us, Peter, in Acts chapter 2, gave the first gospel sermon, and he said this. Whenever he was teaching, he said, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that this same God has made Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Is there any hope for us because of what we have done? Peter said this to him, Repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you will receive something. You know what you're going to get? It says there in Acts 2.38, says you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is a promise to you, to your children, and to those who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God will call. One of those gifts of the Holy Spirit is that He seals us and marks us as God's. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and 22, you want to write these down. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22 says this, He who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us as God, who also, underline this now, who also sealed us, and give us the Spirit in our hearts as the guarantee. When you are baptized into Christ, you are sealed 
with that gift of the Holy Spirit in your heart as a guarantee of your inheritance. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 and 14 it reads like this. In him, in Christ, you trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also you have believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Man, that sounds just like what Peter said in Acts 2. You have been, when you heard the gospel of your salvation and you reacted to it in belief, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of your inheritance until the redemption of Christ's purchase, possession, His church, to His praise and glory. Amen. I want to ask you something right now. Are you saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus and baptized into Him as your Lord, as Peter commanded, as we have just read, that you receive at that point the gift of the Holy Spirit who seals us. That is a promise of your guarantee of inheritance. Paul goes on to say three chapters later in Ephesians 4 verse 30. For you and I in our walk of life not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Who is in you by whom you have been sealed for the day of redemption. Are you beginning to see that whenever you believe the gospel and you repent and you're baptized into Christ and you walk with Him that your gift of the Holy Spirit is a seal upon you that marks you as God's and is your guarantee that He is going to come back and get you. 2 Timothy 2.19 says this then, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands sure, having this seal. What is the seal? The Lord knows those who are His. So therefore, let every one of you who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. That's our challenge. The Lord knows those who are His because they have a seal. And let everyone who has that seal and names the name of God depart from iniquity and walk in His light. So now back to this angel in Revelation 7. Woo! That's where we started at a minute ago. Revelation 7, he's coming down. These other angels are at the four corners and they're getting ready to put some woe and open up a big can on this world. And he says, no, you stop because I got a job to do. And they said, what's that? And he says, I got a seal of the living God. And I've got to go to and forth through this earth right now. And I got to make a check that everyone whose heart might have an inkling towards God that we wring it out of them and that they are saved so I can stamp them with this seal of God whenever they're washed in the blood of the Lamb. And that goes back to the point that Peter made that God is not slack in this promise. He's holding it off because He is long-suffering and He is patient and He as your Creator and the One who breathed life into you is not willing that you would be lost but that you should repent and come back to Him. And He is waiting till the very last moment for you to respond to that gospel call and be stamped with that seal of God upon you so that the Lord knows that you are His. And in grace, He is waiting and holding off even through that destruction. 
He wants to check and make sure that everyone who desires to be sealed has the opportunity to be sealed. And then get this, as you go on down through the rest of that chapter, John sees another picture up in heaven and he sees those who are singing and shouting and worshiping. And the angel, as John's looking upon it, the angel says, Hey, do you know who these are down here? And John says, No, I don't, but I bet you do. <laughs> the angel says, You're right, I do. Let me tell you who these are in verse 14 of chapter 7. He said, These are they who have washed their robes. They've made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And therefore they are before the throne of God, serving Him night and day in His temple. Praise God they've been saved. And what did they get rescued from? Keep reading. Keep reading there in chapter 7. The angel said, These died during the tribulation of this last chapter and this chapter up to now. But these, uh, they're not going to hunger anymore. You remember that that third horse, the black one, that said one measure of flour for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny? Yeah, it's famine. He said these are not going to hunger anymore. That black horse doesn't impact them. Neither shall they thirst anymore. The sun, oh, it's gotten extremely hot at this point in history. It's scorching them if you've been reading the Bible up to this point and from the next few chapters on. It's heat, the angel says, doesn't strike these anymore. You know why? For the Lamb of God who is in their midst now, He will shepherd them. And He will lead them to the fountains of living water. And God Himself will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And I say this, don't you want that? I plead with you today, do you really know Jesus Christ? Do you know Him as your Lord and also as your Savior? Have you been sealed with the Spirit of promise as your guarantee of redemption? Have you made that decision for Christ yet? If you don't know Him, I beg of you, you need to come to Him today. Don't make a mistake and wait. Let me tell you something. You know what awaits those who continue to drag their feet? Those who don't have the seal of God on their forehead that that angel is looking for? Turn the page. Revelation chapter 8 comes next. These angels are waiting. They're looking. But there's some that has dragged their feet. There is a lot that has not repented of what they're doing. And they have not turned to Christ. And look at this. The seventh seal is open. And the wonder of what they saw when that last seal was opened caused heaven to be silent for a half an hour. They were in awe of what they saw. Because that brought forth seven of God's mighty angels. And with them they held trumpets. And now we see the mighty angel that we saw at the altar as it started there. He's before the throne of God and he's taking the prayers of the saints. And the fifth horse in chapter 6, those ones that was under the altar praying, How long, O oh God, before you redeem us? He's got the prayers and he puts them in the censer with the fire from the altar. And now it's going up like smoke of an incense. These prayers along with the fire to the nose of God. And as he smells it, I'm telling you, how long, O oh Lord, if you are not saved,
Today is the day because the Lord's not waiting too long. Hurry and give your life to Christ because these prayers are ascending to the throne. And it says the Lord smelled it. And I don't know what sign he gave to that angel. But then it says next the one who had the prayer censer and the prayers were going up to God. It says he grabbed some more with tongs of those fires from there. Placed it in his censer. And it says he threw them down to the earth. Heaved it and hold. And it fire came to the earth, and with it was noises, thunders, lightnings, and an earthquake. That's what we've been talking about, isn't it? Signs that you're going to see of that time that's coming. And then it says that the angels with the trumpets prepared to sound. And man, it's on like Donkey Kong now for those who have not got the seal of God on their forehead. The first angel now blows his trumpet. And it says that hail and fire and blood come raining down to the earth. And with that first censer and the trumpet, get this, one third of the trees were burned up. The green grass was burned up. You know what? those things are right now there there are fires going on all around the amazon and africa at this moment along with the increase of earthquakes these things are reminders of what is written to motivate you and i towards living a godly and holy life in christ the second angel sounds his trumpet and not oh get this Something like a great mountain burning with fire, it says he sees, and it's thrown into the sea, into the salt water. A third part of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died. And a third of all of the sea-worthy ships were destroyed. And I just say, wow. What devastation Something like a great mountain burning. You know what that is? It's either a planet or a huge asteroid that's broken now through that atmosphere and that magnetosphere and it is on fire and it hits the sea and it brings with its burning and with its impact such devastation that the world hasn't seen like before. A third of the waters dies in his blood. A third of the living things in it and a third of the sea-sailing vessels. There are 50-some thousand registered merchant vessels, let alone other kinds of ships. This is just the ones that are merchants that brings good back and forth. That's not the armed forces of all of the world and all of the other different things and recreational and business. This is just merchant ships. 18,000 would have been destroyed. All of the things living in the sea. Now our mind goes to something like oh, the killer whales and the great white sharks and all of this kind of stuff. But I want to tell you about one of the tiny little things of the sea. Plankton. We've all heard about plankton, haven't we? And we think all it is is this microscopic little stuff that is what some of the uh, whales eat that filter those things. But I want you to do something. Go home to Google or whatever search engine you use and put what percent of the Earth's oxygen comes from plankton. And you know what you get? 
of the earth's oxygen that we consume for life as air that we breathe doesn't come from plants and all of the growth in the trees. It comes from plankton. So let me ask you something. We've not got a good scenario going on, do we, Haas? Because we've got a third of the earth and the trees being burned up. That's like the lungs of the earth that we thought. Now we've got a third of something that produces 70% of the earth's oxygen also cut off. So guess what you got? It's hard to breathe. It's not going to be a very pleasant time. And now with that heaviness of all of the other gases that builds up because there's no oxygen. And all of these fires that's going up from great mountains burning and fire that came down from sensors that's burning trees and grass. Everything is turning black and smoky and there's no oxygen and nothing producing new. And people are being choked out and dying. And then things get from bad to worse. The third angel sounds his trumpet. And I saw a great star that fell from heaven. And it's burning like a torch. It poisoned a third of now the fresh water. The great mountain took out the salt water and the seas. Now we have a great star falling out of the heavens. What did Jesus say to look for? The things of the heavens being shaken like a fig tree that drops its figs in the wind. And these things are flying down to the earth. And this time a third of the fresh water is taken. This asteroid like a torch burning poisons third of the fresh water, the rivers, the springs. And its name, this planet, is called Wormwood. It's an intensely bitterness that brings grievous and sad results. It also, this word Wormwood, speaks of melancholy and depression. It's the word abstinence in the Greek, where they make a special drink in Europe in the old days that was bitter but brought about all kinds of Stuff and depression in the mind. And it says that many died because of the bitterness of the poisoned water. And so we now don't have any food. We don't have water. We don't have air. We don't have the necessities of life. We're being choked on this planet. Do you know Christ? The giver of life. The one who at the end of chapter 7 is going to lead you beside rivers of living water. Well, your rivers have just quit. You're going to be... He said we will have thirst no more for the shepherd will lead us. The heat of the day of this is not going to strike them anymore. Don't you want that instead of the bitterness of the tribulation? It's time you make a decision. It's time that you get the seal of God upon your forehead and that you walk in the light as He is in the light. Because now a fourth angel sounds his trumpet and get this, a third of the sun, a third of the moon, And a third of the stars are struck. There's a third part of the day that does not shine no more. And likewise a third part of the night. A third part of day and night. A a third part of 24 hours is 8 hours. There's going to be a time when for 8 hours out of every day. Either the earth is on 16 hour time periods by the now speeded up rotation which is creating even more heat inside 
or it's just because the sun and the moon are darkened, as it says. It says it doesn't shine anymore. Maybe all of these smoke and these burnings in this atmosphere, I don't know what is. Maybe it's another big planet that blocks it out at parts of the time of the day. Whatever it is, the fourth angel sounded and a third of the sun and the moon are struck and they do not shine anymore. And we lose eight hours a day and I want you to listen to what Jesus said about this. Mark 13, one of those chapters that when the disciples ask him when is going to be these things and the end of the world, Jesus said this in Mark 13, beginning in verse 19. In those days there will be tribulation. That's what we're talking about, folks, the tribulation. Such, Jesus says, in those days the tribulation will be such as there has not been since the beginning of creation which God created until this time, nor ever will it be like this. Verse 20, listen closely. Unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, He chose whom He chose. For their sake, He shortened the days. Are you listening? God Jesus said there's coming a time when I am shortening the days. I am bringing it down because there is so much things going on that even the elect might be led astray. There's a tribulation like no one has ever seen and I am going to shorten those days. And during that time he goes on in verse 21, If anyone then says to you, look, there is a Christ, or look, he's over there, don't believe it. False Christs, false prophets and teachers will rise and they will show you signs and wonders. They will try to deceive you. If possible, they will even deceive the elect. But take heed. I have told you all of these things now beforehand so that you will know. But in those days after the tribulation, listen, listen, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light and the stars of heaven fall and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then, <laughs> then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory and He will send His angels. What's been being held back right now? Waiting for all of those to get the seal of God? The angels. And then He will send the angels he will gather together his elect from the four winds. From the farthest part of the earth to the farthest part of heaven. That sounds like what we've been reading. For the elect's sake, he shortens the days. Because the lights are going out. The heavens are shaking. The earth is quaking. The angels are waiting. They're gathering the elect that has the seal of God upon their forehead. And I have got to get ready to stop because I'm out of time. I mean, I want to go on with this. I want to see the rest of the trumpets because it gets worse, my friends. I mean, the last verse of Revelation 8, look there, 8.13 says this, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpets that the three angels are about to sound. Man, we've only covered four of these things. Are you listening? 
Are you in Christ? Have you made that decision? Do you have the seal? You think you like horror movies. You think you like to sit on your couch with a bag of popcorn, a Coke, iced tea. You like to have a candy bar and sit and watch a scary horror movie with these creatures and things. I want to tell you something. If you don't have the mark of Jesus, if you don't have the seal of God upon His forehead, then what you're going to be is not on the couch watching this. You're going to be a part of the horror movie. And it says that for five months, these things, that there's going to be a volcano that erupts from all of this heating up of the earth. And the smoke of it is going to arise up and cover. And then it says out of the midst of the smoke. Something that's like locusts. Like a plague is going to come out of it. And he begins to describe it. He says for five months they're going to be like a scorpion. Their sting will torture you. They are awful. The Word of God then says this. Go read it for yourself in Revelation chapter 9. The Word of God specifically calls out and says that these horrible creatures are going out to hurt those who do not have the seal of God on their forehead. Those who have rejected the call of Christ. Are you listening? Are you saved? Have you? I don't want to be a part of this. You might go ahead and drag your feet. But I say it's time to repent. It says these beasts come out of the smoke of the volcano. From the door of the pit of hell. And they are like a horde of locusts. And they look like horses that are ready for war. They are described here in the word of God. That their teeth are like a lion's. Their faces are men with hair like a woman. And these are the legions of the demons of doom. That are let loose from the abyss to torture those who do not have the seal of God. Verses 4 through 6 of chapter 9. They will seek death. But God does not allow death to come. They will writhe in pain. And death they will seek but it will not come. And then all these angels that's being held back, they're released. The sixth trumpet sounds and the special forces of angels are released. Their horses, it says, have special armor. The heads of the horses are like a lion. Fire and brimstone and smoke are spewing out of their mouths. That's the volcanoes erupting. And their number, get this, the number of these Angels that are on horses that look like that are armored and look like lions, and out of the mouth is fire and brimstone and smoke. Their number is 200 million. Are you serious? They are sent out now to kill. Their tails, it says, are like serpents, and they are sent forth to harm. And yet, I want you to notice now why. All of these things and why God has sent them. This is what it says. Yet, all who are not killed, it says in the word of God, they still do not repent. They still don't repent of the sinful life they are living in all of their ungodliness. The torture is brought about for repentance. For you to come to God. This is the last call man. This is like 
after the invitation song has been sung and everyone sit down, you get one more quick word and said, we're going to sing one more verse of just as I am. And if you are not in Christ, you need to do it today before too late. That is where we are, are in this point of the tribulation. Folks, the last verse is being sung. It's going to be over and done and wrapped up. So God pours forth the most horrendous horror movie with pain and suffering as you have never seen. And you are a part of it. Why? So that you might repent and come to Christ. But the word of God says, sadly, there are going to be many who still do not repent of the sinful life that they are living and receive the seal of the living God. As we close and the worship team comes forward and we go back to one of those passages of Jesus when he told them when these things are happening and when will be the end of the world. And in Mark 13, Jesus wraps up everything that we've talked about last week and this week with this word. And so I will wrap it up as well with this. Beginning in verse 32 of Mark 13, Jesus says... About the great and coming day of the Lord. He says this. Verse 32. Mark 13. But of that day. And hour. Knows no one. Not even the angels in heaven. Nor the son. But only the father. So take heed. Watch. And pray. For you do not know when the time is. But it's going to be like this. Like a man going into a far country. Who left his house. And gave authority to his servants. And each one of them to his work. And commanded the doorkeeper to watch. So watch therefore. For you do not know when the master of the house is coming. In the evening. At midnight. At the crowing of the rooster. Or in the morning. Lest he coming suddenly. He find you sleeping. So what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Now folks, that is the words of Jesus Christ. And this is about Him. He has left and went to the far country. He is at the right hand of God in the heavenly realm, doing what He said in John 14 of, I am going to prepare a place for you. So that where I am, there you might be also. He is left behind now his house, the church, his bride, that he purchased with his own blood. And he is left within that house, the servants. It says, everyone to his work. So first of all, are you doing your work? Are you being about the work of the Lord? As he just said, I left the house to you. To keep it going. What are you doing in my house? And then he said this. And also I left the doorkeeper to watch. Watch therefore. Well the doorkeeper is those who teach the rest of us what we're supposed to do. That's my responsibility. So right now I pray that as the doorkeeper that the Lord has left behind. In his house at New Life Christian Church in Perrigan, Indiana. I pray that 
I'm being a faithful doorkeeper. That I am showing you the things and watching for the things that Jesus said to watch for. The earthquakes, the famines, the pestilences, the quaking and shaking, the planets. I pray that I have been teaching you the things of the Word of God on how you're supposed to live your life. Seeing that all of these things, as Peter said in our text, are true and are going to come. What manner of life ought you to live in all holiness, being blameless? I pray that I am teaching and admonishing you these things. And I pray that it is motivating you to the work of the Lord that He has left us to do. And I pray that those of you who are not in Christ, that this has motivated you also to receive the seal of God upon your forehead, to believe in Jesus Christ His Son, and to turn your mind to Him, and to walk in His ways, and to say, I believe and I want to be baptized into Christ, receive that gift of the Holy Spirit, and be sealed unto the day of redemption for my inheritance. And to the rest of us that are the servants that are left behind, He says, do your work and watch. Watch, therefore, because you don't know when I'm coming back, evening, morning, midnight, or when the rooster crows. Watch and work, lest I come suddenly and I find you sleeping. And what I am saying to you, I say to all, watch. Don't be caught asleep. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Jesus, and I thank you for this word, and I thank you for its admonition its exhortation that it will motivate us to be in Christ it will motivate us to do the work that we are left to do and to watch and pray and be about your work and may the Holy Spirit move within us that we can understand and grasp all of these things most of all thank you for Jesus your son that by grace through faith in him He is the Lamb of God that cleanses us. Thank you, Father, for all of these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.